Welcome to the Thriving on Purpose podcast, where we teach Christian entrepreneurs how to build a strong foundation of faith, growth, and skill to lead and thrive on purpose in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, certified coaches, Elizabeth and Sebastian Richard. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Thriving on Purpose podcast. We're really glad that you took time out of your busy day to listen to this podcast. It's really going to help you and bless you. I'm Elizabeth Richard, as you know, and I'm here with Sebastian Richard, my husband. Hi, everyone. And teacher. And we're doing the second part of the 12 characteristics of the kingdom of God, because last time we couldn't put all the points in. Uh, it would have been a, a really, really long episode, so we split it in two parts. I encourage you to go back, if you're a first-time listener, to go back to episode 31, where we started the God's Kingdom Purpose for Man series. So this is all part of the series, so that you can understand, because everything kind of follows together. And so... I really encourage you to be listening to this series. Um, I, I know you're probably wondering why do we need to learn about the 12 characteristics of the kingdom of God? Well, to understand how a king, the kingdom of God operates, you really need to understand these characteristics. Yeah, and by understanding these characteristics, not only will it, will it enable you to understand better how God's kingdom operates, but also your role in it as a kingdom citizen, how you should operate in God's kingdom and what you have access to. Exactly. Because see, a lot of people want what God has to offer. They want healing for their lives if they're sick. They want prosperity if, you know, they're they're, lack, they're lacking. They're lacking. But a lot of them don't understand that there's there's the kingdom a operates process. by laws. It's laws that operates the kingdom of Exactly. God. And there's a process and there's an understanding and you need to understand who you are in the kingdom of God, how the kingdom of God operates, the characteristics, all these are part. This is why we're breaking down the series in all these, uh, sh you know, shorter podcasts for you guys, because it would be impossible for us to teach you all of what we studied in one podcast. It's absolutely impossible. So we're, we're giving you bits and pieces on every podcast so that if you follow the series, eventually you'll be able to understand better and um, it'll come alive in your life. You'll exactly. know how to, to make all of this part of your daily life. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I mean, every kingdom operates by laws. Even your country, your, your, your country's government operates by laws. For example, I live in Canada. And if tomorrow I was to be laid off from my job, I have the right to get employment insurance, for example. But if I don't know the laws, if I don't know I have a right to it, I'm going to do nothing. I'm going to get laid off and I'm just going to stay home and cry. But if I know how the laws work in my country, well, I'm going to fill out the paperwork needed for that. I'm going to send it off to my government. So I'm basically going to say to my government, hey, in your laws, it stipulates that if I lose my job under such and such circumstances, I am entitled to get 55% of my salary or 52. I'm not too sure which, but anyway, a percentage of my salary. So, therefore, the government, if I do that, will send me the money. Why? Because it's 
they, they mention it in their laws. That's how the country operates. So I can only benefit from that if I know about it and if I know how to go about it. So it's the same thing with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God operates by laws. We have things that are set aside for our benefit that are provided by our king, the Lord Jesus Christ, God, that have been set aside for us. But if we don't understand how the laws of the kingdom operate, we will never even think of claiming those things for ourselves. And therefore, we might be living in want, in want of healing, in want of provision, in want of um, anything that we actually need that God said he would uh, fulfill for us in his word. Exactly. So we're going to do a quick recap on what we discussed in the last episode. We learned five of the 12 characteristics of the kingdom of God. They were, number one, a kingdom has a king. Number two, a kingdom has a domain. Number three, a kingdom has a constitution. Number four, a kingdom has laws. And number five, a kingdom has citizens. So if you haven't listened to episode 35, just go back and listen to that before you uh, get into episode 36. Which is this one, yeah. Exactly, which is this one. So we're going to continue. So we're at number six, which is a kingdom has wealth and provision. Provision in a kingdom is the main benefits the king affords for his citizens, right? It serves as security for being in good standing with the king. So if you don't have a good king, then obviously you don't have much provision. If you have a good king, then you're happy and uh, the kingdom is prosperous and there's provision for those citizens. Yeah, and even bad kings wanted to give some level of provision for their uh, citizens because it reflects badly on them if they don't. So the kingdom's glory is dependent on the king's provision for his citizens. So other kingdoms or other countries or surrounding domains will look at that particular kingdom and base their judgment of it by looking at the citizens of the kingdom. Exactly. So that's why as believers, oftentimes, they will judge if it's worthy of them to accept Jesus Christ and become born again by watching you. They're going to be looking at you and say, do I want to be part of this kingdom? Is that something for me? Where, how is he living? Yeah, he does have more joy. Or he does seem to never worry about a thing. He does seem to have something that I don't have. Then they're interested in knowing more about your king and his kingdom. So it's the same thing in real countries, in, real, in all of history. A king's glory was reflected through the uh, level of living, the, the, the quality of life of the citizens of his kingdom. And people would judge upon looking at that. So, as you mentioned, a kingdom has wealth and provision, and so it's a king's job, it's a king, it's part of his duty to provide for his citizens. This is why we uh, we often read or, or see that in movies when it's a, a kingdom that's represented uh, in its, I don't know, the Middle Ages or Renaissance or any time when there was there were kingdoms more abundantly than we have today and we watch a movie and we see someone present himself or herself before the king and what did they say they say oh king live forever so i always thought that was weird because i would never say that to my prime minister <laughs> <laughs> but in the kingdom you say that why well very simple because the king looks after his citizens he provides for them he gives them provision. He gives them a quality of life. So, of course, they don't want him to die. 
Right. Right. And and that's also why we have the other saying that when the king dies and a new king is crowned, the king is dead. Long live the king. Why? Because having a king creates that uh, continuity in abundance or a, a certain guarantee of abundance for the right. citizens. Okay. So there are Bible verses that talk about how the kingdom of God has wealth and provision for us as citizens of the kingdom. And Liz, if you would start reading down the list. So we read in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 to 34, a very popular verse. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. And I know for for me, for many years, uh, this really symbolized, you know, um, walking with God and seeking, like how I interpreted it was, you know, be of the things of God and go to church and learn about God, read, read your, your Bible, Bible pray. Um, and that's seeking first the kingdom of God. Evangelize. And then, then I thought, you know, everything else that I needed would be provided automatically because I'm a good Christian. And then, you know, you go on into life and things happen and sometimes, you know, financially things are rough and this and that. And you look at your mug that has this verse on this and you're like, well, I've done everything I'm supposed to. I go to church. I read my Bible. Why don't I have these things? Like, why am these I worrying about... basic things of life that Jesus said we would have if we seek the kingdom, right? Exactly. And there's other verses too that talk about prosperity and you look at those verses and you're like, hmm, there's something that there's I'm something missing I'm here, yeah. right? And I don't know, like, how did you interpret this verse as you were growing Well, up? for me, it was, uh, it came down to what you said, like uh, going to church, reading my Bible, being a quote-unquote good Christian, but also evangelism. Evangelism was big. And I thought the more I evangelize, the more I'm seeking the kingdom or right. <laughs> I'm seeking the kingdom and his glory. And uh, that's only part of it. I mean, if you don't understand that the kingdom operates by rules, you're going to seek the kingdom. For example, I could be the biggest patriot in Canada, have Canadian flags all over my property and lose my job, like the example I gave earlier, be laid off. And if I don't understand the laws that I have a right to get that employment insurance, well, I, I can have all the flags that I want and, and, and think oh, my government's going to save me, my government's going to save me. It's not going to happen, happen, you know, right. even if I love my country, even if I think Canada's the greatest. Nothing's going to happen. There, there's laws for me to get access to what is rightfully mine. Okay. So in this verse, what do you think seek first the kingdom of God means? You need to understand how the kingdom of God operates. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So it's, there's two things there. So seeking his righteousness, that's the walk with God. That's, that's seeking his righteousness. So in other words, it's God's righteousness that's going to provide these things for you. And seeking after his kingdom, it's becoming so enthralled in everything that pertains to his rulership and government that nothing gets by you. You get, you get this. You know how God operates. You know his laws. You, you apply them daily and you get what comes from that. That's what it means for me now. But that's not what it always meant. That, I mean, that, and I would, like you say, I would see that on a mug or see that on a t-shirt or read it. And uh, I was like, how come I don't, how come... I'm missing. I'm having a hard time paying for my pair of jeans this month or there's something that <laughs> I'm not being provided adequately. And yet he said if I and, and I thought I evangelized five people or six people this week or I did this and I, 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 I'm going door to door. I'm doing whatever I did for 
um, spreading the gospel at the time, that's a long time ago, but I used to think, how come I'm not benefiting from that, me being so devout and devoted to spreading the Great Commission, you know, talking right. about it. So another great verse is in Philippians uh, chapter 4, verse 19. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Exactly. According to the riches of his glory. The riches of his glory. He's a glorious king. He's got riches that have no limit, basically. Because like we saw in the last episode, he owns it all. Okay. Right. So he will meet you all your needs, just like Matthew 6, 34 says. But again, if you don't understand how God operates by law, well, you're, you're just not going to gain access to that. You're not going to understand, uh, for example, the law of sowing and reaping, uh, the law of the basically what, what how your tongue has an impact on the benefit. That's just another example. We, we're going to get to that in further in, in other episodes. We're going to talk about prayer and the tongue and confession and all these things. But there are many, many things that believers need to understand in order for them to get what is right, rightfully theirs. Uh, same way, for example, if uh, your father dies and he leaves you an inheritance, well, if when you're summoned to go to the, uh, the law office to, to, you know, to sit down with the lawyers who takes care of, of distributing all of his goods, if you're not there, well, chances are you didn't sign the papers, you're not going to get anything. So when on the date they say you show up on uh, September 25th and you're going to get all that, at 10 o'clock, well, if you don't show up, uh, it might, you know, either be delayed or you might not have a right to it because you didn't sign the right papers or didn't do, didn't go follow right. procedure and the laws that are associated with that wealth. So all kingdoms function on the principle of a common wealth. That's another thing that people need to understand, okay? What is common wealth? Well, it is simply the king's commitment to see that all of his citizens have equal access to the wealth and resources of the kingdom. So this, of course, is very good for the citizens, but it's mostly important to the king. It is important to the king because, as we saw earlier, as I said earlier, the quality of life of the citizens of a kingdom reflect on the glory and reputation of the king. For example, how God provides in our lives reflects on his glory. Okay, This is why our king is personally committed to and involved in our welfare as kingdom citizens. This is why we read uh, scriptural promises in the Bible, such as, Liz, if you would go down, there's a few here, I, I jotted down. Right, in Psalms chapter 34, verse 10, the young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. And again in Matthew chapter 5, verse 31 to 33, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So that's that, that completes the, uh, the previous passage we read earlier. So... Basically, he was talking about the things of everyday life. Your king, your father, who is the king, knows you need all these things. So don't fret over them. Seek the kingdom first, 
So seek the glory, his glory and the glory of his kingdom first. Make that the priority in your life. And guess what? All these things will be added unto you. Yes. And in Psalms chapter 35, verse 27, we read that the pleasure of our king is in our prosperity. Let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Now that's a powerful passage, don't you find? I mean, he, see people, I, I mean, I've been in church for so many years and riches were frowned upon and we think, oh, if you're a true servant of Christ, you will love poverty. It's almost like they don't teach it that way, but they're basically saying like, they're basically teaching you to hate prosperity because it's not godly, right? And, so, and yet yeah. the prosperity of God's servant is God's pleasure. So that's something we don't hear sermons about very often. And there's even a, a preacher I heard, he once said, he said, you know, your prosperity is part of God's revenge on the devil. Now that's good stuff. You're, so that's that's his pleasure. Why? Because your prosperity is part of his revenge on the devil. Because don't forget that when you go back in episode uh, 31, when we're talking about dominion and how the devil basically got access to, to everything on earth because Adam um, had sinned and lost his dominion and all that. So Satan has access to the riches that are on the earth that's why he offered them to jesus when he tempted jesus says all these kingdoms have been handed on to me they've been handed to me so that was through the fall and now i can offer them to whoever i want but that didn't last because christ came back as we saw in episode was it 33 he came to reclaim what was lost through the fall right exactly and that's part of the good news that we talked in other episodes about uh, about jesus christ dying on the cross so that we can be able to have access to heaven, obviously, but also that we're able to have all of these things reestablished so that we now can tap into that prosperity, can tap into that having that health and all the great things in the Bible, all the promises are for us as of now. Exactly. So that's why they are now accessible, okay? So it's very important that you understand this. And you know, there's... um, a lot of pastors don't understand kingdom. A lot of pastors don't understand kingdom. And that's the reason why they'll tend to, you know, pick out the verses that talk more about being humble and, you know, not boasting your your riches and all that. Because there's a difference, you know, in the world. We see a lot of people that do have wealth, how they spend their wealth in a worldly fashion yeah. has nothing to do with God. And it has nothing to do with helping others, right? Exactly. So... There's a difference between being like that and also being, you know, a servant of God a that has prosperity steward, that God has entrusted with, that understands kingdom, that applies kingdom in his life. God blesses him and then he goes on to bless others. Exactly. Other he becomes Christians. a vessel, a he channel does. through which God's blessings flow. Exactly. So he's blessing. He's constantly blessing. He understands the law of sowing and reaping and he understands how all this money isn't really his. It's God's money, right? That were vessels that were using for God's for for building God's kingdom. There you go. And by doing so, you are taking away from the devil's uh, territory. Hand, yeah, right? you're taking territory back from him, and so, that's why God has pleasure in the prosperity of His servant because He knows His servant is going to do good with that prosperity to a, a much bigger scale. 
because oh, yeah. with money, it's a, it's a, uh, how should I say this? It's a, a currency. It's a barter system that is not evil nor good. It's neutral. Okay? Well, for exa- example, we're doing a podcast. We need a, a microphone. We need uh, internet access. We need a computer. All these things cost money just for a simple little podcast like ours. That requires money, you know. And and the advancement of the kingdom is done through. And that kind of sounds. I know. I know you're gonna think. Well, because I, I thought it was just through evangelism. No. We'll get, even if it is, let's say if it, let's say it was. Okay. Let's say it's just through evangelism. Well, guess what? If you have a lot of money and you buy a TV program or a radio program, you can reach a lot more people through evangelism than if you don't. Exactly. I mean, Billy Graham understood that, right? And he's not the only one. And so whether you are for money or not, it's a needed commodity for the advancement of the kingdom, whether you understand kingdom fully or whether you just want to do the evangelism work of the Great Commission, you still need money. Right. Or just having a bigger impact, you know, for those that we're supposed to take care of, like the widows and, um, you know, the, the... the orphans and the kids out there that don't have uh, anything. Right? I remember in a previous episode, Liz, you probably remember the one we did on Job. Um, that was episode, oh, I forget what, which one it was. We were talking about uh, when Satan attacks, when Satan attacks. Christian entrepreneurs. Christian entrepreneurs. Yeah. Uh, maybe we can put that in the uh, the resources. Uh, yeah. yeah. But the, I read from pseudepigraphal book called The Testament of Job. So it's a book outside of the scriptures, but it was really interesting because it gave an account that we don't read in the Bible of Job's generosity with others. He had, I think at any time of the day, his gates were open for the poor to come in and he had 14 tables set up with food and bread for poor people who would just mm. go to and fro to his house to get nourishment, to get what they, they, they needed daily. That's how generous Job, and there was so much more he did. I mean, we, we just read... Um, a short uh, part of that book but whether it's true or not it gives you a good idea of what a faithful servant of god what lengths they go through to promote the kingdom to be faithful stewards and promote the kingdom and expand god's kingdom through generosity and psalm psalm 37 25 would you read that little uh yes so we read in psalm 37 25 i was young and now i am old Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. So again, we see the king's abundance and provision shine through in that verse. And there are so many others in the scriptures. I just can't list them all, right? I mean, just trying to give a a glimpse here of our king, the Lord, our father, God, who is a good king, who is a king who wants uh, his, um, his servants, his citizens to be in uh, abundance there should be no poor among you it says i think it's in deuteronomy there should be no poor among you why because i'm a a good king who provides adequately exactly so um it'll be very important for you to continue listening to this series because we're gonna uh, like we said earlier you know tap into how to pray the uh different things on sowing and reaping and how to get harvest how to tap into that prosperity Mm -hmm. so by applying these things, then you'll start seeing things happen in your life and it's going to be really, really wonderful, right? Absolutely. So that brings us to number seven, which is a kingdom has an army. Right. A kingdom has an army. And I got to tell you guys something. For the longest time, 
in my Christian walk, in my Christian life, I thought of myself, I thought I was a soldier in God's army. It made me feel good to think that. It encouraged me to think that. I thought it was mainly my job to wage his war. Well, I was wrong. I was wrong. You see, as a citizen in God's kingdom, I am not in God's army. In any country, you have uh, citizens and you have soldiers. Soldiers are not considered citizens. They're part of the army. It's, di it's a different uh, status. You see, we read in Ephesians 6 to put on the whole armor of God, right? Ephesians 6 talks about the whole armor of God. And it, it, Paul takes the example of a Roman soldier. So we think, well, see, I'm, I'm in an army. There you go. There's a soldier. I need to put on this whole armor. I'm in an army. Yes and no. So you need to understand that you need to put on the whole armor of God to be able to stand against the enemy and resist him. In other words, you putting on the whole armor of God should be done as a measure of self-defense. It doesn't mean necessarily that you are enrolled in God's army. That's what God has provided for your protection. That's one of the things that God has provided for your protection, but he's provided more than that. The kingdom provides for you an army. God wants his children and his citizens, so don't get me wrong, God wants his children and citizens to be able to handle themselves when they have to. But we were never intended to be his army in the spiritual sense. You see, we're in a war. I mean, you, you, probably, you probably know that. You're listening to our podcast. You know that you're in a war. You've probably had to deal with your own share of spiritual warfare. You know, with your own, you know, Satan attacks us. I mean, if we're living godly in Christ Jesus, we're, we will suffer all kinds of tribulations from the, the kingdom of darkness. Uh, the war is, is spiritual, right? So we're in a war, but we are not in the trenches or on the battlefield. So that's, so you need to see the distinction. So we're in a war, but we're not in the, tre in the trenches or on the battlefield. We need to know how to fight or wage battle, but we are not God's soldiers. So I'm going to I'm going to get to that later. I'm going to tell you I'm going to tell you who God's soldiers are. You probably have a pretty good inkling of a clue as, as far as we are now, but so we as citizens of God's kingdom, here's what we are. We are the equivalent of spiritual martial arts masters, okay? Imagine a like spiritual Bruce Lee, if you will. That's what we we're like. When we put on the whole armor of God, we're like a spiritual Bruce Lee. So while we can Forgive my, my language. Why we can kick ass in the spirit. It is done solely as self-defense. So now you may ask, okay, okay, so you're telling us we're not in God's army. You're telling us that the whole armor of God that we need to put on is for self-defense. It's for us to be able to stand against the enemy. Okay, I get you, but I'm still not clear on who then is in God's army. Who is, like you said, a kingdom as an army. That's your point number seven. So... Who is the army of God? I just want to add before we continue uh, and talk about who's in God's army. Um, you know, if you haven't been experiencing spiritual warfare, you haven't had the need for it. It's most of the time because you're not a threat to the devil. Because the Ooh. devil just comes and, you know, wants to 
uh, attack Christians in different ways. Sometimes it's very subtle. Sometimes it's he can even, you know, um, make your teenagers act up. There's all kinds of things that the devil uh, will do to try to get a rise in you, to make you angry. Well, sometimes it's subtle. Other times it's right in your face. You know it's him. Exactly. Sometimes, yeah, there's all kinds of ways. He's very clever. But the point is that if you you have to see these things coming. See, a lot of people think, oh, this is just bad luck. This is just something unfortunate, something bad that happens. But they don't realize that there's a spiritual force behind like 90% of what happens. So you need to know how to put the armor of Christ, how to pray basically, and how to spend time with God in a certain way to tap into that um, spiritual force, if you want, to have that power against the devil. So the more you do for Christ, the more you're active building in his kingdom and and obeying his voice and, you know, you're trying to make an impact, whether it be to help Christians, whether it be to, uh, you know, touch uh, unbelievers, the the devil is going to come. He's going to try to hinder that. Yeah, he's going to try to. He's not going to win, but he's going to try to. Yeah, and and he's going to win some battles. He's, he doesn't yet. He's lost the war. We know that. That's a done deal. The war is lost, but he can still win some battles, and he can hurt sometimes. So you gotta you gotta brace for impact. You gotta get you gotta become that spiritual Bruce Lee, that, <laughs> like we talked about. So to getting back to that question, so who then is in God's army? Well, you probably guessed it so far. This is a job for his angels. It's a job for his angels. As citizens, we're not in the army. But we are beneficiaries of the protection of the army. Just like in any country. I'm not in the army here in Canada, but if we're attacked, we have an army. Okay, it's it's not a great army. Canadian army, I mean, pretty much any country would attack us. We'd be in deep trouble. We'd we'd have to ring the bell of the U.S. down and say, Hey, guys, guys, come and help us, come and help us. The point is, we do have an army. It's their job. Okay? That's, that's, so, but, 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 the army of heaven... Now, that's an army. I mean, that, that is the army that can kick the butt of any other army out there. Okay, and we're going to look at Bible passages that prove that. So, the army of God, his angels, are dispatched on behalf of the citizens of the kingdom and their safety. And Liz, take it away. I wrote down it quite a, like they're big mouthfuls. Maybe I can read the second one. You read the first one, I'll read the second one, and you read the, the other one after that. So I'll start with Psalm chapter 91, um, verse 9 to 13. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra, you will trample the great lion and the serpent. And now, I, that's power. That's that, that's power, but that's a great army working on your behalf. And that's a passage that uh, the devil used against Jesus to tempt him in the desert. Uh, say, say, throw yourself off that cliff because has he not commanded the that? And then he quotes the scriptures mm-hmm. to try to tempt Jesus Christ to do just that. He says, your, your foot will not strike a stone. He will send his angels. And I use that. But I like how uh, verse 13 says this. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion. What's the, who's the great lion? It's funny because in, in the New Testament, 
Peter, the Apostle Peter, compares the devil to a roaring lion. Right. Seeking whom he shall devour. Right. Remember that? Mm -hmm. And the serpent, so the great lion and the serpent. And again, in the New Testament, we know who the serpent is, right? And even in the Old Testament, he's a serpent. So that's very interesting there. So you will trample the great lion and the serpent. Why? Because he's going to send angels to guard you in all your ways. Right. And Jesus also spoke of his army. It's his army. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 50 to 54. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. That was Peter, who in a zeal and with passion trying to protect his Lord. But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray my Father, and he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? How then could, he, could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? In other words, this needs to happen. If I didn't want it to happen, it wouldn't. I would just call on 12 legions of angels and they would protect me. 12 legions of angels. What is that? Well, a legion is between three and 6,000 soldiers. And the Ro a Roman legion was between three and 6,000 soldiers. So let's just assume it's 6,000. Well, 12 legions of angels is roughly 72,000 angels. Now, that's an army. And that's just a becking call. That's just like, you know, the tip of the iceberg, if you will. So Jesus, at that very moment, could have called on 72,000 angels that would have come down to rescue him from what was happening. That's the army that is at our service as citizens of the kingdom. And in the Old Testament, in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 15 to 17, when the king of Aram sent his army to seize the prophet Elisha, we read the following passage. Liz, would you read that passage? Now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he, Elisha, answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Again, now we see... That's the army. I mean, and even in the Old Testament, when Israel was fighting their battles and their wars under King David and, and other instances, it's not necessarily mentioned, only maybe a few times, it's not necessarily mentioned, but we can assume that Israel won those wars because God was with them, first of all. Right. But also, probably, in the invisible realm, there were probably angels wreaking havoc against the enemy on the behalf of Israel at those times. But that's just an assumption. It's not written, you know, verbatim. But I believe that's what I believe. I believe that, that that was going on when Israel was fighting their wars and they were winning and they were winning convincingly, convincing uh, victories. That's what was happening in the background. So that, dear friends, is the army of the king which works on our behalf. 24-7. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. 
Imagine that in your coming in and in your going out. God has angels watching over you. Why? Because you are very precious to him. You are a citizen of his kingdom. He has paid a very high price to redeem you and to bring you back into his kingdom. And as a result, he looks after you with his army. Praise God. That's something to praise God about. So when you're going in your car, when you're leaving the house, going for a trek in the mountains, you can bet that in many instances, there are angels walking right beside you, making sure nothing happens bad to you. Yeah, and it, an important prayer to do as well. Um, a lot of Christians uh, don't always think of praying for this, but you can pray that, you know, the Lord, that your Father God puts a guardian angel in your room uh, when you're sleeping or when you're going to take a, a dangerous trip or a trip somewhere. Yeah. Like, you can ask for extra protection. Extra protection. You know, sometimes you're, you might yeah. be taking your car. It's really horrible weather. Exactly. You There's can a ask, storm outside. It's, exactly. It's can, cold. Baby, it's cold outside. <laughs> you can ask for a special shield of protection around you to make sure that nothing happens to you or your car, or, you know that you don't swivel off the road or that someone doesn't, you know. I remember when I was a youth, I'm going to tell you guys a story. When I was a youth of about, I don't know, I was maybe, let's say, 18 years old. Uh, I was going, um, I was going to take a bike ride because there was this comic shop I'd heard about that was quite a, quite a ways from home. And I didn't really know where I was going. I just had the address. I knew whereabouts I was going, but I knew it was going to be a maybe a half an hour bike ride. And since I didn't know where I was going, I wanted to find the place. I asked God, please, Lord, I'd help, help me find the way. Help me find that place. I want to go there and have a good time and protect me on the, on the road because I was in Montreal. I mean, there's a lot of traffic and that's where I grew up. So it's not just, I was not in a rural area like I am today. I was in the city. There was a lot of cars, big boulevards, and, and I was going to take my bike and it was far from home. And uh, as I was going on that big boulevard, uh, I got hit by a car. <laughs> a car was I, was, I was going in the direction of the traffic and a car wanted to enter a driveway and they were on the boulevard and they, they didn't see me coming. I think they, they, the lady thought she had time and she kind of turned right. Basically, she turned on me and her car smashed into me. And I went flying on the, the, the sidewalk and the grass. And, uh, of course, they stopped the car and they were <laughs> the lady was in a panic. I remember poor woman, she was, uh, she was crying at the wheel and she's just like, her husband came out and she just went away. She just went like, went hiding, parking the car and because that, that's where they were going. They were, they had arrived home and I didn't see the lady. The husband came out and, and looked after me. He says, are you all right? We're so sorry. We didn't see you for some reason. and just turned and hit you. And I was kind of in shock. You know, my, my bike was twisted. The, the, the steering wheel was twisted. And I just, I was sitting on the grass. And I got up and I looked at myself. I looked for scratches. I had no broken bones, no blood. I just had one scratch on my, I think it was my right knee. But nothing bad, like just a scratch, really. And I was like, nah, that's weird. Because the bike would, had taken a pretty bad, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering how I would get back home. 
And he asked me, he says, can, I, can we do anything for you? I said, you know what? I, I think I'm okay. Could you just give me a glass of water? I'm kind of thirsty. It was the summertime. I was thirsty. I had sweat a lot. And brought me water. And, and I went off on my way and found that comic shop, bought comics, went back home, and everything was okay. <laughs> but I'm convinced uh, that at that time, just the way it happened, the way I got bumped, I should have been in much worse shape. I, 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 something, something protected me. I know there was an angel there who caught me. I didn't feel caught. I didn't. I didn't. But but, I was cushioned. My fall was definitely cushioned, and that's just one instance. And I know you guys probably have your own stories, and I know my wife has a story. We won't have time to get into it, but uh, her father had an encounter with an angel, and 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 if you pay attention, you will see that the angels of the Lord do look after us in certain moments of our lives. Yes, they do, and that brings us to number eight. A kingdom has delegated authority. Exactly. So all kingdoms establish a representative system that delegates responsibility to appointed citizens to serve as envoys or ambassadors of the kingdom. Could you explain that a bit, Sebastian? Yeah, that sounds a little bit complicated, but basically what it means is that a kingdom establishes authority, delegated authority, upon some appointed citizens to serve for that kingdom as envoys, which means the sent out ones, of the king. So the king sends out these people to represent his kingdom. That is who we are. Without any exception, all of us in the kingdom of God are ambassadors. Now in other kingdoms, in earthly kingdoms, ambassadors are uh, few and far between. It's not all not all citizens are ambassadors, but we in the kingdom of heaven, we are ambassadors, okay? So, and ambassadors personify and embody the king's authority and the kingdom itself. And we're going to see that point eight is really important. So the Bible calls us ambassadors. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, we read that God has committed to us the message of reconciliation... We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. But what is exactly the definition of an ambassador? We're going to look at the definition of ambassador, okay? Here's what it means. Ambassador is an accredited diplomat sent by a country as its official representative to a foreign country. So I'm going to repeat that. It's an accredited diplomat sent by a country as its official representative to a foreign country. So, as ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven, okay, we are ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. So, as such, we represent our king and his kingdom in what is called a foreign land. So, since we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, being on earth, we are in foreign territory. So I hope you're following this. And this aligns with the words of Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. In the New Living Translation, Liz, could you read that? Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. So isn't that interesting? So basically, Peter is saying... 
your temporary residents, your foreigners here on earth, you're you're seen as foreign because you're you're citizens of the kingdom. So therefore, since you represent the kingdom of heaven, keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very soul. So, in other words, you're in a foreign land. Don't partake in what goes on in that foreign land, which is A.K.A. the world, right? The right. world we live in, the world that's uh, the wicked, that's run by the wicked one. So, what are the characteristics of an ambassador? So, we're going to look deeper into what an ambassador is. That's because it's an excellent question to look at. So, what are the characteristics of an ambassador? An ambassador is a unique individual, one of a political position in all kingdoms. You must understand your title of ambassador fully in order to appreciate the power, authority, and distinction of this revered position that we have as kingdom citizens. So here are some very important qualities of an ambassador. There are 12 that are listed. Liz, if you would go down the list of 12 characteristics of an ambassador. Right. So number one, he is appointed by the king, not voted into position. Okay. So it's an appointment. It's a kingly appointment. Right. He's not voted in. He's appointed by the king. Number two, he is appointed to represent the state or kingdom. Number three, he is committed only to the kingdom's interest. Now that is very important. He's committed only to the kingdom's interest. Any ambassador, when he is in a foreign land, he is still representing fully the interest of where he's coming from. Exactly. So we as believers, as citizen kingdoms, we represent fully the, the, the interests of God mm -hmm. and the advancement of his kingdom. Right. Number four, he embodies the nation, state, or kingdom. We're going to look at number four a little later. This is huge. Number four, he embodies, so in his person, is found the nation, state, or kingdom itself. That's huge. Number five, he is totally covered by the state. Number six, he is the responsibility of the state. Number seven, he is totally protected by his government. Number eight, he never becomes a citizen of the state or kingdom to which he is assigned. Now that again is interesting. I mean, I am a Canadian citizen, okay, by birth. But... My kingdom citizenship has precedence. It is more important than my Canadian uh, duties, if you will, as a, as a Canadian citizen. So my kingdom duties overrule any duties I have here in the country of my residence. But that is rarely a problem because, guess what? Kingdom citizens are always model citizens wherever they go. So, in other words... If you're a, devote, a devoted kingdom citizen, you're going to be a, a very valuable citizens, citizen in any country because the rules of our kingdom make us into better people than the norm. Number nine, he can only be recalled by the king or president. And number 10, he has access to all his nation's wealth for his assignment. Number 11... He never speaks his personal position on any issue, only his nation's official position. That again, number 11, super important. That is super important for the Christian, for the believer to understand. 
uh, I have a, a plaque on my wall in which I wrote down the definition, that, the way I understood it, of a Christian. What is a Christian? And I wrote down, a Christian is someone who loves the same way God loves and who hates everything that God hates. So, in other words, a believer, a Christian, a kingdom citizen, doesn't have any more personal opinions apart from those that are in accord with his king. So, if you're living in a country, for example, that has abortion, that, that, that they do abortion, well, as a kingdom citizen, that is not your position. Why? Because your king hates that. Your king hates the shedding of innocent blood. So therefore, as a kingdom citizen, you represent your nation's official position, which is only through its king. The king says it's wrong. It's wrong, baby. So if anybody asks you, what's your position on abortion? Well, my government's position on abortion is so-and-so. They're going to say, well, that's not your government's position. I mean... Prime Minister Trudeau is very much for abortion. No, he's not my government. I know that sounds bad. I hope he doesn't hear this. I, I might be in trouble. <laughs> no, but it's... But, you, I, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's what it is. That is what it is. My, I'm going to obey God rather than men. Okay, exactly. and you should too. And that brings us to the last point, number 12. His goal is to influence the territory for his kingdom's government. Amen to that. So again, we get the, the, the influential aspect of a Christian who is to represent his government to the fullest of his capacity in order to bring others into that kingdom. So that by walking your, by, by, seeing, by witnessing your godliness, your, good, your kindness, your generosity, your walk with God, they might want to glorify God and, and thus say, hey, I want some of that too. How can I get in? So number four, let's go back to number four. It says that the, the, the ambassador embodies the nation, state, or kingdom which he represents. Then he embodies the nation, state, or kingdom he represents. That is fascinating. Remember what Jesus said concerning the kingdom of God. In Luke chapter 17, verse 21, Jesus said, The kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. So here's what that means. Dear ambassador, you're listening to this podcast. You're an ambassador for the kingdom of God. Dear ambassador, the kingdom of God is within you. This means the following. Whoever attacks you, attacks the kingdom of God. Wherever you are, wherever you find yourself, there is the presence of God and his kingdom, that happens by you being there through the kingdom being within you, through the Holy Ghost. Wherever you set foot, wherever you set foot, because of what you carry inside, listen to me, this is very important, that place is holy ground. I know that's not something you're taught regularly in church. Uh, we're taught we're sinners saved by grace. Woe is me. If I weren't for God, I'm just a little slimy little piece of boop. You know, you know I mean, that's how we're, we're taught. But that is not what the Bible says about us once we're saved. When you speak, 
you represent the King of glory and his word. So mind your tongue. Your tongue is a powerful weapon because you are a powerful person. Your authority is the authority of the king himself. Oh, that's powerful too. That's something we're not used to hearing. But that is what God has given us as ambassadors of Christ. Whatever you own, wear, or drive, these become royal. So, your shirt, whatever it is, whether it's Tommy Hilfiger or any great designer or whether it's a $7 Walmart t-shirt, it now is royal attire. The car you drive, even if it's a 15-year-old rusty Toyota, is a royal chariot. See, do you understand how that... How knowing this, how knowing yourself as an ambassador of Christ, how this transforms how you look at everything. Because it transforms your mindset. When you understand who God appointed you to be, who God says you are in His Word, it changes everything about your perception. You might have thought your, your ugly, rusty 15-year-old Toyota is not much to look at, but now you're going to know that this is my royal chariot. You, you might think I need to get a new royal chariot. That's fine. I get that. But you're in it. You're driving it. And because of who you are, it's a royal chariot. So the kingdom in you, through the Spirit, sanctifies it and makes it so. So it sanctifies your clothes. It sanctifies where you are. It sanctifies your place of work. It sanctifies everything you touch, talk to have relationships with. And I, I just want to add this, which is a real game changer for my mindset. You know, sometimes where you're at in life um, may not be where you want to be as an entrepreneur. Uh, you may have, you know, big goals. And in today's world, um, everything is based on material stuff, right? So you are deemed respectable, uh, a certain, you know, respectable person because you drive a BMW or a Rolls Royce or Cadillac or whatever. And so that tends to rub on us at one point because we tend to think like that, you know, well, we're Christians and so, well, we're not supposed to have those things. We kind of make ourselves feel better by thinking like that. Or it's the other way around. We're thinking, well, we're not good enough because we don't have those things. Yeah. So you, you really have to understand this and and like go back and listen to these bullet points so that you really understand who you are in Christ so that your mindset shifts and changes because when you think of yourself as an ambassador for Christ and that you know for his kingdom yeah for exactly for his kingdom you're here you know we know we're not here forever we're here only passing we have a mission to do there's things that God wants every one of you to do that's different mm -hmm. from one another there's a, a purpose and an assignment for every one of you Christians. And I really want you to understand this, that it's not, it's not always a mainstream um, you know, purpose that goes for all Christians. Most of the time, God has given you certain strengths, certain talents, and a certain walk of life. You've had a certain history, the way you were brought up, 
all of that is in line into your purpose. Okay. Mm. So, you know, some people will do great things with what God wants them to do and others will just wait till it ends and then, you know, end up in, in heaven, but haven't done much for Christ and haven't accomplished much. It's a choice that you have to make. You can either, you know, get on the horse and do things for God and, and you know, uh, get those gru- uh, those jewels and crowns and, and be proud and do things that will make him proud on this earth. Or you can just sleep and just, you know, go to do your nine to five job and whatever it is that you do and not fulfill your assignment. There you go. So... There's a choice for you to make. If you understand that you're an ambassador in Christ, you understand that uh, the kingdom of God is within you, then there is something you're supposed to accomplish. There is an assignment that God wants you to do. Yeah. And it's not has nothing to do with your job most of the time. It's something that you're going to have to ask God to reveal to you and you're going to have to pray about and this is not a, you know, a one quick prayer. Uh, he's going to answer bim, bam, boom, and it's over. I know what I'm supposed to do. It's a process. It's going to take time. Yeah. But I encourage you to do that because you're going to see that there's a lot of blessings. And all of these verses, all of these promises will come to, to life in your life when you do do those prayers and, and are serious about them. So I just wanted to add that in because for me personally, it really helped shift my mindset and I found another level of my purpose that was a lot deeper than what I was already searching for. Well, as we just read, like when we read the list of 12, you know, what an ambassador is, there's immense privilege attached to that. But what did did Spider-Man say? With great power comes great responsibility. Sebastian always has to add some kind of Marvel <laughs> characters. Or DC. <laughs> but, but it's, it's true. true. It I mean, true. we've been given great power. And therefore, attached to that, there's great responsibility. And here's a key, okay? Here's a key for you to, to not neglect that responsibility that is given you. Never forget who you are and whose you are. And you will never neglect your responsibility or forget your authority. Let me repeat that. You could jot that down. Put it on your fridge. Never forget who you are and whose you are and you will never neglect your responsibility or forget your authority. So number nine, Liz? So number nine is a kingdom has influence. So all kingdoms are committed to making the influence of the king and his will felt throughout the entire kingdom and abroad. And abroad, exactly. This is why Jesus entrusted to kingdom citizens what we know as the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20. I mean, if you've grown up in any type of evangelical church, if you don't know the Great Commission, where were you on Sunday morning? Seriously. It says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen. Amen. So influence of a kingdom is what contributes to its expansion. Influence of a kingdom is what contributes to its expansion. Jesus used the following analogy in Matthew chapter 13, verse 33. 
he told them still in another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. So 60 pounds of flour is pretty big. That's a lot. <laughs> well, I don't think that, I don't know if it's pounds the way we understand it, but <laughs> let's just say it's a big loaf of bread. And yeast, as we know, is very small. We don't put much, but it makes the whole dough rise, right? And yeast in the gospel is used to mean influence through teaching. Influence through teaching. Remember how Jesus warned of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. That meant of their teachings and influence. That's in Matthew chapter 16. But when it comes to the Great Commission, we are to be influencers and teachers for and of the kingdom. Okay, so we're to be teachers for the kingdom of God, and we're also to teach the kingdom of God. We are to make disciples which ultimately means growing the kingdom through the addition of more citizens. And that is why we preach the good news of the kingdom. And that goes back to a little bit of what I was saying earlier about God's purpose for your life. Everybody's going to influence and use kingdom, but for a different purpose. Mm -hmm. Not everybody's going to do the same thing like you know, we're doing this podcast, we're teaching you about kingdom, you know, maybe you're going to take this information and you're going to apply these kingdom teachings differently in your life and it's going to have um, a different outcome because God's asking you to do another specific assignment, right? Yeah. And that brings us to number 10. A kingdom's people gives back to its king. Throughout the Bible, we are told and encouraged to give back to God. Whether we are talking about the tithing in the Old Testament or cheerful and generous giving in the New Testament, one thing's for sure, God, our King, owns it all, and a man shall not rob God. Therefore, kingdom citizens are required to give back as an act of submission and worship. And obedience. Yeah, exactly. So when we give back to the king, like all kingdoms, all kingdoms or, or countries or Governments have a system through which the citizens give back to the rule, the rulers of the country. Right. Whether it's a king, a prime minister, a president, whatever. Mm -hmm. There's a taxation system. There's a system through which people are required to give back. Why? Because, well, you, know, you need roads, you need uh, services, you need all kinds of things for a kingdom to operate and function properly. Of course, as we saw before, God is the king and he owns it all. So, whatever you give back to God as king is simply how it works in, in any kingdom or including in the kingdom of God. It allows the government, his resources, to pass through the hands of the citizens. Okay, so it's like a wheel, it makes the wheel turn. But giving back to a king like God implies more than just giving to a human government. So we're, we're going to look at that. You see, giving to a king is not like giving to a prime minister or a government or giving to man. When we give to man, it takes away from what we have. So we reduce our possessions. However, when we give to a king, we invest. 
And here's how this works, okay? I'm going to show you how this works. When you give to a king, it activates the king's obligation to demonstrate his power and glory to the giver. Let me repeat that. Giving to a king activates the king's obligation to demonstrate his power and glory to the giver. So what does it do when you give to a king? It basically forces the king to prove that he is a greater king than all the other kings. Giving to a king in his kingdom is the acknowledgement that all things belong to him in the first place and that the citizen is grateful. However, however, a good king will never allow himself to be outgiven by anyone. Now, that's something that most people don't are not aware of, okay? When you present yourself before a king, any king in any kingdom, all throughout history, whoever would present themselves before a king, they had to bring a gift because it is customary to give to a king. But when you give to a king, you're always winning. It's going to be a, it's going to be a winning situation for you because you cannot possibly outgive a king, especially God. Giving to a king puts pressure, in a way, on the king. It activates his giving back to the people. The wealthier your king is, the more the people should give back. And the more they give back, the wealthier he becomes. And the wealthier he becomes, the more he gives back to his citizens and the better the people are. So it creates a wheel of abundance. Okay, And that is why in the Old Testament, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 to 10, a lot of pastors like using that passage to encourage their, congreg their congregation to give, to tithe. And I'm not going to get into the tithing. I believe that was for the Old Testament. I think in the New Testament we are required to give, but there's no set amount. So it can be, you can give 5%, you can also give 35%. But you're supposed to give abundantly. But in the Old Testament, the passage in Malachi, chapter 3, verses, uh, verses 8 to 10 says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And then he says this, and, and this speaks of the character of God. And so that's, that's why I'm not going to get into the tithing thing. Okay, I want to talk about the character of the king. This is the king talking. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. The king is saying, give to me, test me and see if I won't outgive you in an incredible way. And that is consistent with what we're taught in the New Testament, where Jesus says, give and it shall be given you, you know, abundantly and overflowing and all that. So Jesus said that in the New Testament. So that's the character of the king, okay? As for the tithe, well, I believe that's, that was for the temple storehouse in the Old Testament and mostly consi consisted of produce of the ground for the Levites. So that's, this has changed. In the New Testament, it, we, we, we're not taking care of the temple, the physical temple anymore. We don't have any more Levites. So it's kind of different. But we're still required to give. We're still required to have a generous heart and to give back to that king who is God. His character doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, okay? So the principle of giving to God's kingdom applies by, for example, giving to the poor, 
giving to ministries, giving to good works, giving to the orphan and the widow, right? So that still applies. God's principle of giving found in Malachi hasn't really died out, so we should give. As a rule of thumb, just as it is written in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, here's the rule of thumb I think you should apply when you're giving back to the king, when you're giving, when you're taking money to put it in God's kingdom. Here's what you should do. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. That, by the way, is the, in the New Living Translation. I like the way it's worded. Okay? Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. There is pressure out there to give. So don't, if you're going to give, it has to flow from your heart. It has to be a conviction of the Holy Ghost. Why? For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. That's the character of the king. Now let's go back to what happens when you give to a king. Well, let's, let's take the example of the Queen of Sheba in the Old Testament. The Queen of Sheba was called the Queen of the South from uh, Ethiopia, I think, when she visited Solomon. The Bible tells us this. She gave a lot to King Solomon. She gave the king 120 talents of gold, large quantities of spices and precious stones. Never again were so many spices brought in as those the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. She gave a lot. And in 1 Kings chapter 10, Verses 23 to 25, we read this. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Year after year, everyone, underline everyone, who came brought a gift. Articles of silver and gold, robes, weapons and spices and horses and mules. Now we understand, like, it says in the same passage that he was the greatest and richest king. And in the same passage, it said that everyone who came gave to King Solomon. So in a way, in our human understanding, this doesn't make any sense. If he's already the wealthiest dude, why should I give to him? Because these people understood that whatever they came and brought to King Solomon, when they left, it would bring back even more. The wheel, it made the wheel turn. Right. So they, they got that, see? They understood it. And Jesus said of himself in Luke chapter 11, verse 31. Liz, would you read that? The queen of the south, queen of Sheba, will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. Boom. Okay, so we read in the passage earlier, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. That's what we read about him. And then Jesus says, now, speaking of himself, something greater than Solomon is here. So if you failed to listen to King Jesus when he came, if you were one of those who turned an ear from what he was saying or turning your back on him and moving away, oh, woe unto you, not good. Now, if people gave abundantly to King Solomon, shouldn't we do at the very least the same for the King of Kings, Jesus Christ? 
Of course we should. The answer is rhetorical. Of course we should. And like all good kings, if we do what it says in, in uh, Malachi chapter 3, if we test him in this, if we test him, he will prove himself faithful. He will outgive you. That is guaranteed. He will outgive you. He said it himself in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Amen. And that brings us to number 11. A kingdom has a culture. Every kingdom has its culture. But what is culture? Would you like to explain culture? Absolutely. What is culture? Good question, right? Culture means this. The lifestyle and way of life for the citizens manifested in their language, dress, eating habits, values, morals, and sense of self-worth and self-concept. That pretty much defines culture. Okay, let me repeat that. Culture is the lifestyle and way of life for the citizens manifested in their language, dress, eating habits, values, morals, and sense of self-worth and self-concept, how they view themselves. The origin of the name, the word culture, is also very interesting. The noun from French, culture, or directly from the Latin, cultura, means growing or cultivation. So the verb is from obsolete French, culturer, which is a word that we don't use anymore, or medieval Latin, culturare, and both based on the Latin, colere, tend, cultivate, cultivate, to cultivate, to make things grow. So in late Middle English, the sense of the word meant cultivation of the soil. And from this arose cultivation of the minds, the faculties, or the manners of a people. So it's basically how we grow ourselves when we are living together as a people or organism or organization. It's how we grow ourselves. So the culture of a kingdom, country, or organization is the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear that name. It's the first thing. For example, if I tell you, if I say the word Canada, what comes to your mind? Well, I have a pretty good clue as to what comes to mind when, when people hear the word Canada. I, I know my fellow Americans often say, they, they say, uh, cold and snow, free health care, and some might say Tim Hortons. If they've been to Canada a couple times, they know we're, <laughs> we have uh, almost a Tim Hortons for every citizen. But <laughs> they're, they're everywhere. That's our coffee shop. For those of you guys who don't know, that's our coffee shop is where we have donuts and sandwiches and coffee. And it's the equivalent of, I don't know. Dunkin' Donuts in the U.S. It's even bigger. I mean, it's even more cultural. Tim Hortons is even more cultural than their Dunkin' Donuts. But anyway, so these define, at least in part, our culture as Canadians. In fact, I, I once read a funny observation from Americans about Canadians, and the observation read like this. It, says, it said, uh, Canadians are like unarmed Americans with free health care. <laughs> so if you're going to define a Canadian, you're an American, you're trying to tell your friend what a Canadian is like, they're like unarmed Americans with free health care. It's funny, but it's also kind of true, because it reflects our culture. 
You see, Canadians, we're known throughout the world as a rather peace-loving people. We're like hippies without the long hair, you know what I mean? <laughs> Additionally, our culture is quite Americanized. So that's why the Americans, they, they say like, oh, they're like Americans, but not quite. They're unarmed and they have free health care. <laughs> so, so we love basically much of the same things they love. We watch the same movies. We speak the same language. We've been very, very influenced by the American culture. So we're very similar in many ways. So that kind of defines Canadians. That kind of defines our culture as Canadians. And I'm sure wherever you're from, you have your own thing, your own culture. Everybody has their own culture, right? Every country has their own culture. So when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to the kingdom of God, what is its culture? Well, to know of the culture of the kingdom, you look at what? You look at what its citizens embrace and practice. So we know that the kingdom of God, its citizens, well, they're Christians, right? They're born-again Christians. So when you tell someone you're a born-again Christian, what image comes to their mind? They have an image. Everybody has an image. When you say born-again Christian, boom. They, 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 that's the culture coming right up, right? In their minds. Well, right away, the concept of you, who you, you are becomes clearer to them because you told them, I'm a born-again Christian. So, for example, here's what they probably think of you right away from the get-go when you say, I'm a born-again Christian. They say they probably think, well, okay, that means he's probably good-natured. He probably attends church. Probably reads the Bible. He probably definitely must believe in God and in Jesus. And he must definitely pray. That's the basic image of the born-again Christian. You agree with that, Liz? Yeah. Okay, so additionally, knowing you are a Christian, when you tell people, I'm a Christian, it makes them expect certain things from you. That's, that's again, culture playing its way, okay? The kingdom culture. So, for example, how many of those you work with, knowing you're a Christian, would be shocked if you cussed? So, if everybody you work with, they know you're a Christian, you start cussing, cussing up a storm. What would happen? That probably all all of them would be shocked. Why? Because cursing isn't part of kingdom culture. So as a Christian, it, it would shock them. They would be shocked to see you cuss because it's not part. They know that that's not part of the culture. Okay, the culture of the kingdom of God or its citizens. Again, how many would be shocked or confused? Okay, those you work with or those you know, whoever you, you're hanging out with, they know who know you're a Christian. If you started telling dirty jokes all the time, well, all of them would probably be shocked. And in fact, they would probably even call you on it. Even if they themselves tell dirty jokes all the time. If they known you as a Christian for many years and you start telling dirty jokes, they're going to call you on it. They won't care if they say it. They'll be like, me, it's okay. I'm not a Christian. I'm not supposed to. Like, I don't have that filter. But you, you're a Christian. How dare you tell dirty jokes? <laughs> I'm going to tell your pastor. <laughs> That's what they'd say, see? So the culture of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God has a culture. As citizens of the kingdom of God, we are expected to have certain beliefs and behaviors that are congruent with the culture of the kingdom. Exactly, the same values. Exactly. And the culture of the kingdom is one of godly fruit. 
The culture of the kingdom represents the king himself, who is God. Citizens of the kingdom are to bear the fruit of the culture, which are the fruit of the spirit of its king. And we are told in, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, that the fruit of our king, the fruit of the spirit of our king, are this. Joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Jesus himself spoke of the culture of the kingdom in John chapter 13, 35, when he said, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples. We're talking about cultures. They will, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. That's another sign. They see the love we have for one another. Oh, that's kingdom culture right there. In other words, they will know you by your fruit. Make no mistake about it. The culture of a kingdom, in its purest sense, says to others, here's what it says, jot that down, the culture of a kingdom says to others, this is how we do things here. This is how we do things here. That's culture. If that, that's the shortest definition I can give it. This is how we do things here. That's culture. Yeah, and we, we see how important it is in the business world, uh, uh, all kinds of businesses out there, whether it be branding, whether it be network marketing, um, every business out there, entrepreneurs have understood the importance of culture and yeah. that by creating a strong culture in their business, uh, the, the people that work for them will either want to be part of that culture or, or will just decide it's not for them. So they are, they are attracting people that are like-minded, that have the same values, same uh, wants, same desires, have the same visions for the company and want to work all together exactly. to accomplish that. Yeah. So that brings us to number 12. A kingdom has a reputation. Every kingdom in all of history had a reputation, whether good or bad. Exactly. So now the reputation of a kingdom hinges on the well-being. We've seen this before. It hinges on the well-being of its citizens and on the quality of its king. The reputation of the king is important to the king himself because it is the source of the glory of his name. So, a king's reputation and that of his kingdom is created and sustained by the condition of his citizens. Therefore, it is in the best interest of the king to act in ways that are favorable to his name's sake. In other words, a king has to do everything in his power to make sure that his citizens are well taken care of. I can't say that enough. And as citizens of the kingdom of God, we are under the best, the most loving, kindest, richest, wisest king that like is above, he's the king of kings. He's above all other kings. So our condition should reflect that. That is why when we have joy, we reflect the kingdom. When we have abundance, we reflect the kingdom. When we have health, we reflect the, the kingdom. When we speak words of wisdom, we reflect the kingdom. When our relationships are pure, holy, and good, and our marriages are strong, and our kids are well-behaved, we reflect the kingdom. That is kingdom reflection. It's the, it, it adds to the reputation of that kingdom. 
The kingdom of God has the name of God on the line. It's his kingdom. And he will not act in any way that would jeopardize his holy name. In fact, the king acted in a way that no king ever has. Our king, okay, the king of kings, has acted in a way that no king ever has. And as a result, has acquired a more glorious reputation than any other king before or after him. Of the king of kings, we read in Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 to 11. Liz, would you read that? He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen and amen. That is what our King did. That's what King, the, the King of Kings did for the citizens of the kingdom. No other king has ever done that. And no other king ever will. And of his kingdom, of his kingdom, we read in Luke chapter 1, verses 31 to 33, what the angel Gabriel told Mary. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. That is a royal, that is a royal statement there by Gabriel to Mary. <laughs> so when she was told that she was going to bear Jesus, that's who she was told. She was told, you're going to bear the king of glory. He didn't say, you're going to give birth to a child and in poverty. And No, no, he told, you're, you're going to bear the king of all. The king of all whose kingdom will never end. So the reputation of Jesus is, even among his detractors, unequivocal. Even those who don't like Jesus, even those who are his detractors, they say of him that he was, at the very least, a great teacher. That's fascinating when you think about it. Atheists, and even those who hate him and do not know of his greatness, still have a certain level of respect for him. And what about us? What about the citizens of the kingdom? What about us? What's our reputation? A kingdom has a reputation and it's through its citizens. So what about us? What about you? What I found is this. Whenever the kingdom of God has a lackluster reputation, it is not due to the king or to the kingdom itself. No. No, when the kingdom of God has a bad reputation, it's on us. It's on us, the citizens, the ambassadors. Dwight L. Moody, the great preacher, said this, Out of 100 men, one will read the Bible, the 99 others will read the Christian. Now that's powerful. Think about that. For every 100 men, one will read the Bible, and that's pretty much accurate. 
and the 99 others, they read the Christian. That's how reputation is built. That's how reputation works. So when they read you, they glimpse into the kingdom of God. When we conduct ourselves as worthy ambassadors, we contribute positively to the kingdom's reputation. However, when we fail God for lack of understanding or obedience or fail to show people basic kindness or generosity, then we impact the kingdom negatively. And it is such behavior that made Gandhi say to Christian missionaries, he said this, Gandhi said this to Christian missionaries, I like your, well, maybe he had an accent, I like your Christ. <laughs> I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Mm. I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And that is a shame on us because when the kingdom's reputation is tarnished, it's our fault. It's never the king's fault and it's never the kingdom itself's fault. It's on us. So we need to conduct ourselves as worthy ambassadors of the king. Very well said. So this concludes... Um, Our this very long podcast of yes. an hour and 30 minutes. <laughs> yes, and uh, we hope that you enjoyed it, that you learned a lot. And uh, we look forward to reading your comments. Um, you can go to thrivingonpurposepodcast.com. Uh, in the show notes at the at the end, you can always leave your comments and your feedback on the episodes, what you you got as a takeaway, uh, what had an impact, what you learned. We'd love to hear your comments. Or you can shoot, shoot us a private message if you like in the contact us. We answer all the emails, by the way. I Thank take the time to answer. If you have questions or any comments and stuff, I, I take the time to answer. Okay? Exactly. And if you have questions... Uh, shoot them to us, no problem. Um, we have a Facebook page as well, uh, facebook.com slash thrivingpurpose. You can message us your questions and we can also do like a compilation of answering questions for another podcast as well. Yeah, we're thinking about that. We might eventually do an episode where it's yeah. just Q&A. Yeah. Exactly. So be blessed. And thrive on. Thanks for listening to the Thriving on Purpose podcast. Be sure to visit thrivingonpurpose.com to access the show notes and to discover more fantastic content. Until next time, be blessed and may you thrive on purpose.